Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello and welcome to My Millennial Property. You're with John Pigeon and joined always by Emily Wallace. How are you, Emily? I'm very well. How are you? Yes, sensational. Thank you. And I'm pretty excited today. We've got a guest on that uh, I, I reached out to him a couple of months ago and he, he gave me the thumbs up, but we had to clear the calendar for today. So uh, we welcome Jeremy Shepherd. How are you, Jeremy? Very well. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on the show. No, it's a pleasure. Now, the, the property nuts may know who Jeremy is, but for those who have never heard of uh, Jeremy, he runs a company called Select Residential Property. So, Jeremy, can you just give us a heads up for the listeners as to what Select Residential Property does? Because I know you love your research. Yeah, well, it's, it's all about research. So, we, uh, we sell property data. Our clients are property investors and property professionals who assist investors so uh, our key focus is on capital growth um, and, yeah, we, we cover the whole research for residential property. Yeah, cool. And, and what, uh, what sparked your interest to go into this space? T- tell me a bit about maybe what you, what you used to do and, and why you're doing it now. Sure. Well, I was in uh, IT before. I was a, a contract programmer and... Um, I was looking for where to invest my my money, and uh, I first of all got into shares, and that was um, uh, terrible. Um, I lost a fair bit of money, uh, and then I I went to a, a couple of property investment uh, seminars, read a few books, and thought, oh, maybe this is worth a crack. And so I got into property investing. I bought my first property back in 2002 in Western uh, Sydney. It cost me uh, $206,000. Can you believe it back then? <laughs> uh, and when I was researching where to buy, I was thinking, well, what sort of information do I need to know here? And it, I mean, I haven't always been a bit of a, a data nut. I did study electrical engineering at uni, and so my maths was pretty good. Uh, but I, I just realised... That I that I liked looking at the numbers, and uh, and so I started hunting around for data that would help me, and some of it obviously not so useful, some of it quite useful, and I guess that that grew into a passion. And um, in late two thousand and nine, I, I I put together some some maths and some of my programming skills and came up with a an algorithm called the demand to supply ratio, uh, and. That has been our, our core product. It's been around for for a decade now, and that's um, yeah, that's everything at the core of select residential properties is that algorithm. And just for our listeners, can we break that down in a bit more context? Um, the demand to supply ratio. What does that actually look like? Is that a, a number? Is it a percentage? And and how does it inform a buyer? 
Yeah, it, it is an, a number and it's out of 100. So I guess you could say it's a, it's a percentage, but that's more simply to to get a good idea because most people are familiar with 50% being a pass mark. So it's a score out of 100. 50 is is the theoretical balance point between supply and demand in a, in a property market. So what we do is we, we look at metrics like uh, auction clearance rates, vacancy rates, how fast properties are selling, how heavily they're being discounted. There's a total of, of 17 different indicators that we look at and they're all something to do with either supply or demand or a bit of both and we we munge those together into this single score so the higher the score is the more likelihood that you're going to see some capital growth in the immediate future so it's only a short-term thing uh, long term it, it it has uh, it has very little ability to to predict outperformance over something like you know 10 years. 20 years, 30 years, that sort of thing. So it's very much a short term. Supply and demand tend to to balance out pretty quickly. Now, Jeremy, I have a question for you. So I often get people call me up and they ask, Emily, where's the next hotspot? Where's the next place that I should park my money in this market? The question is, I guess, twofold. A, is there such thing as a hotspot? Um, and B, if there is, um, how how long typically can a hotspot last for if they do exist? Yeah, great question. And I'm asked the, the same question, where's the next hotspot? Um, and I'm always underprepared when uh, when people ask. I can usually say, you know, c- cities and so on, but I should have a list of suburbs. Uh, okay, so typically I would say three years, but it could it could be all over in, in 18 months or it could go on for, say, five years. Uh, there's no hard and fast rule about it. And uh, yeah, each each market cycle uh, brings about completely different circumstances, so it's it's very hard to say. But one thing I've I've heard a lot of uh, there seems to be some commentary where people say if you've heard about a hotspot, it's it's too late. And I think that might come from the share market where where things happen very fast. Uh, in in residential real estate, I mean, it, it it could take four to six weeks for a property to settle whereas it's, it's a few minutes on the share market. So things tend to happen very slowly in real estate. If you're keeping your ear to the ground, uh, you can discover hotspots. Uh, even when they are currently booming, there's still probably plenty more growth to come. So uh, they're not flash in a pan kind of, kind of stuff like, like it is with shares. Having said that, a lot of people, if they're, if they're not keeping their eye on the data, they might only realise that there's boom uh, at the peak, and that would be you know, a terrible time uh, to purchase. So there was still a lot of buying frenzy in Sydney um, in late 2016, even early 2017. We were very much so at the at the peak of the market. It'd been growing since about 2012, 2013. So you've still got some time if you've noticed prices rising, if you're noticing that, um, gee, there's a lot of people turning up to this open inspection, a lot of people turning up to auctions. So if if you're keeping your eye open, you're probably not going to go too far wrong. Yeah, that is music to my ears, Jeremy, because I uh, talk about this stuff all the time and I have to keep reinforcing that that it, that is, it isn't the share market and it's a very different set of indicators. So I love that you're reinforcing that um, to our listeners. There's a, a company that puts out 
property cycles each month and it bemuses me how um, a market can go from maybe 11 o'clock to two o'clock in the space of, of one month. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's maybe for marketing purposes. Um, but what I think the burning question for a lot of people at the moment is, generally speaking, housing markets around the country are all performing pretty well and, and, and the growth is occurring daily, weekly, monthly. The, the big question I'm getting is when is it all going to stop? When is the, are the markets going to slow and what are the signs that we're looking for for them to slow? Yeah, well, there has been a recent talk. We were, we were just – the media was just pumping up the, the boom and now all of a sudden they're talking about things slowing down. But I, I think what the, people are getting things out of context there. When we're talking about growth rates, the, the years took off at a cracking pace. There was very, very rapid capital growth and now it's just coming back to – growth that's a, a little bit more sustainable, but even at this pace, uh, it still can't last forever. And uh, I'm not seeing anything in the data to suggest that now is is a bad time, that investors have missed the boat. I think that if you're, if you're a property investor or even just a home buyer and you're thinking of getting into the market and you have cash and you've got a job, yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't wait around. And uh, I am sure by the end of the year, prices will be a lot higher than they are now. And I believe it'll, it'll carry into the following year too. I, I just, I can't see oil tankers doing U-turns that quickly. You know, the, the property market is a massive beast, especially markets like uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide. So they don't turn around on, on a dime. And if you look at the, the growth charts uh, historically, uh, you can see that. They do have their little corrections here and there. Uh, there might be an election. There might be a pandemic uh, that uh, we call black swan events because uh, very difficult to forecast for them. Uh, but but even those sorts of things in the past have had very little uh, dampening impact on, on the capital growth uh, for properties. So, and all of that's irrelevant if you're going to buy and hold for the long term anyway because, um, you know, 10 years from now, prices would have probably uh, doubled, especially in, in some of those uh, major cities. Yeah, most definitely. We're going to take just a very quick break, but when we come back, I've got a few more questions for you that I think is going to be quite helpful to our listeners. So keep posted, guys. We'll be back in just a second. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Jeremy, obviously we have a lot of people who listen into the podcast who uh, are investors or are thinking about investing. They might have one property under their belt, maybe going for their second. In your dealings with your your business and your company over the years, I'm sure you've come across a lot of investors at a high level. Could you speak to maybe a bit around the mindset of the good investors that you see and how they tackle markets? Yeah, difficult one. Uh, difficult one to answer because I'm a little uh, brutal, I suppose, about it. My my uh, research is really just numerical and I have a tremendous amount of confidence in that. And so, uh, when I see someone behaving cautiously, uh, I think, uh, you know, what's your problem? Uh, I've got one client who uh, I do some mentoring with and he asked me about a year ago, over a year now, if I could just sit down with him, go through all the metrics, what's what's the research that he's got to do? Uh, and he is still looking at data. He's still asking me questions. It's been a year ago. And I said, what, what did you pick out as property markets and he was just looking in Melbourne, just in a very specific price range, and he showed me this list of um, of suburbs that he'd selected. And I calculated how much they are now, how compared to how much they were when he was talking about it, and the opportunity cost. I can't remember the exact figures, but by sitting on his hands, he has he has lost something like eighty thousand dollars worth of opportunity there. Now I don't know how much he earns in that period of time, but that whole concept of of procrastination, particularly in a market like it is right now, uh, can be very costly. And I know that it's an enormous amount of money and uh, and I know there are a lot of lot of things that, you know, when people are looking at a property, they, they've got so much to choose from, it's very difficult for them to make a decision. When it comes to asset selection, if you've got your suburb right, you're pretty much uh, home and hosed. It's it's not that big a deal. And the longer you are a property owner for, the less of a deal it, it turns out to be what you ended up picking and where. So long-term is, is a great evener of the property markets. I've looked at the long-term performance of, of, of Launceston in Tasmania, one of the oldest cities in Australia, and compared that to Sydney, the biggest city in Australia. And over, over the last 10 years, uh, Sydney has outperformed, but over the last 20 years, Launceston's outperformed, but over the last 30 years, Sydney has outperformed. They swap the lead all the time. There's this catch-up. And over over decades, multiple decades, you're going to see that two suburbs will have pretty much the same sort of performance. You're not going to buy in a dud so long as you're not in the middle of the desert. So if, you, if you're just buying in some regional uh, town that's that's even got a population of 100,000 plus, uh, I wouldn't be worried about that if, you, if you're planning to buy and hold long-term. Just delving a bit deeper into that, that suburb selection for a minute, Jeremy, you, you talked about, well, if you get the suburb right, you, you, you're you okay long-term. And, and for a lot of our, our listeners, we, we are 
buying to to hold the property long term. It's not a share where we're trying to turn it over every six months at the height or um, whatever that may be. But talk to us about the difference between uh, houses and units or apartments because there's like my thoughts in in a lot of suburbs, in particular in Melbourne and Sydney, through this four or five year growth period, houses have gone nuts uh, whilst yeah. units and apartments have have uh, stayed level, um, slight growth maybe. Yeah. I, in fact, I did some research on this um, uh, around this time last year. It took me a, f- a few months. What I was looking for was what are some indicators we can look to for outperforming over the long term? And there's very little in it, but Houses as opposed to units is is one of those things. In fact, there are only three things that I could find. And part of the problem is that although right now we're in the middle of a data age and I mentioned these 17 metrics, they weren't available uh, 20 years ago. So when you're trying to find out what can we look at in the past to to, to identify long-term outperformance, there's very little information to go on. But houses is one of them. There's about a 0.9% per annum uh, difference in capital growth between houses as opposed to units. And another one uh, is that you don't want to buy new. New property tends to underperform and it's because of depreciation. So if you buy uh, an established house, um, that's that's a, a, a better bet. And the third one was to avoid uh, vacant land. So vacant land can be developed uh, a whole bunch of extra supply comes on the market and, of course, that thwarts capital growth. So the three things for holding long-term is buy a house, buy an old house in a built-up area away from vacant land and uh, you, you're pretty safe if your plan is long-term. It's quite logical. I think it makes a lot of sense because the scarcity of it then, particularly in more established suburbs, obviously the demand for that's going to increase over time. And I think that's where you know, we've seen a lot of... Um, suburbs, I'm talking Melbourne here, but in areas where they are those big old houses that an investor's bought and then um, some years later that land's worth something to a developer to maybe make into two townhouses mm. or something like yeah. that because there's nothing else available um, anymore. There's no vacant land. So that's a very valid point. Mm. Mm. Interesting stuff. Um, so Jeremy, where to from here? Like you've, you've got um, suburb growth, you've got location score, you've got DSR data is is your where do you want to take the company is it, how is it going to continue to evolve or are you just content that this is the data this is what we're going to continue to analyze um, always after more data more data please more data um, I'd like to add uh, some more metrics to to DSR data so that there's more available for people. I mean, we don't have things like uh, population growth um, in there because I don't believe that it's that it uh, is an effective indicator, but some people have different needs to capital growth. Some people are after yield, for example. Some people want uh, development opportunities. So just throwing a whole bunch more data, I'd, lo- I'd love to do that. But the thing we're working on at the moment is um, uh, capital growth forecasting. So the demand to supply ratio is, is just some kind of indicator to the likelihood that a particular suburb is going to have above average, below average growth. What we're trying to do now is turn that into a a percentage figure. So after 12 months, 24, 36 months, what are we likely to expect prices to be at and calculate that as a a percentage term. So there's, yeah, there's the forecasting is is where I'm putting most of my research effort at, at the moment. Yeah, cool. 
If um if one of our listeners wanted to actually look into your data and have access to it because it would be valuable to them, um, is your company on a like a B to C like a direct to consumer basis, or is it more so through other companies? How can people access your work? Uh, yeah, all of our uh, all our products, apart from the apart from the, like the mentoring and the research I do personal for for a client, all of the products are websites that are available to either professionals or or the consumers. So anyone can uh, create an account. Um, they're all reasonably affordable. I mean, I. I of course, I'm going to say that my product is is affordable, uh, but when you think of the difference that having the right intel can make in just as little as as a couple of years, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, people spend um, you know five hundred dollars getting building and pest inspection report just to make sure they've dotted I's and crossed T's, but but the difference that um, picking the right suburb can make in in as little as two years is is literally tens of thousands of dollars so uh, I think it's 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 tr- tremendous value for money when you can sign up and look at some some data for only a couple of hundred bucks yeah definitely it's a very valid point I think um, we'll put in the show notes where people can find you as well so they can you know look into sure. the data that you have but I agree with you there I think people are very easily drop you know five six hundred dollars on a building in pest but don't necessarily put the money into understanding what a good area could be so um, definitely mm. check oh, it out some people research um, their shoes more so than than the property what's wrong with that <laughs> you did. Em- Emily you're guilty of that aren't you Probably not on shoes, but more so on suits. I like researching suits, suits and jackets. Yep, yep. Bowl of fruits. <laughs> uh, good, Jeremy. Well, it's um, it's been a pleasure. Uh, plenty of information there. Plenty of data. It's it's very clear that you uh, that you enjoy your data and your research. So, and anything you're passionate about, you end up being good at, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, it takes it takes a long time though. But thanks very much, guys, for having me on your show. No Thanks for jumping on board. So until next week, uh, make sure you go and check out uh, Jeremy's sites. We'll put them in the links below, but we will be in your ears again next week. Thank you. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.